Hi, so we're joined today live with Michael Krauss, uh, our audience of uh, managing information security breaches. We have a, a small portfolio of books written by Michael, um, a book and two pocket guides, all of which are available on our, on our website. Um, and Michael is here today to talk to us about how breach notification is now a legal obligation. Hi, Michael. Hello. Hello. So, you are one of our, our great authors here at ITGP. Um, what influenced your decision to write books for us? Oh, well, actually, in all honesty, this came about by chance because I was visiting uh, Info InfoSec in London one day. I came across ITG's booth and I was like, okay, let's work together. And then Ellen actually suggested that I write a book about a topic that hasn't been covered before. And so I did some hard thinking and came up with the managing of breaches, which wasn't covered then. Perfect. And yeah. So you you wrote you wrote well. the book first or the pocket guide? Uh, I have no. I wrote the pocket guide first. Yeah, and then. And then that led on to the, to the book. So so that that's great. So it all started at InfoSec all those years ago. Oh yeah, it started I think two thousand eight. Yeah. I think. Yeah. No, that that's great. Our focus has changed slightly over the last uh, twelve months or so because although information security is still our bread and butter and very important within our portfolio, along has come the GDPR, which is also a very hot topic for us. Do you think most companies are prepared for the new regulation? <laughs> well, that's a good joke. Um, <laughs> well, I think one has to differentiate between the UK and the rest of Europe. So first of all, the UK always had a much tougher penalization scheme for any kind of PII violations, right? Mm -hmm. So the, the Information Security Commissioner was never somebody shy of handing out six-figure and seven-figure fines to, company, to companies who actually, or organizations that violate PII legislation. Mm -hmm. So um, from that point of view, uh, companies in the UK have always been exposed to a quite harsh regulatory scheme, which is basically now made even harder. Now, for continental Europe, the situation basically um, is different in every country. There are countries with a very, very, very sloppy uh, enforcement of PII regulations, for instance, Ireland and Austria, um, also Spain and France, Italy not so much, Italy is quite strict, and Companies in these countries have been basically used to not having to do much, and that changes radically. I would I would even go so far as to say there isn't a piece of legislation in the past 20 years that has brought about so much regulation and so much uh, change for affected organizations. Okay, okay. No, no, no that's, that's great. So... Um... My next question is, what changes do you, do you need to make to your data protection and information security regimes to comply with the GDPR? So if you're a business now, what changes do you, do you need to make? Well, actually, there's more than two dozen, so I probably not, will not be able to cover all of them in this podcast. Yeah. But the most important ones are that, first of all, companies need to know what data they actually possess, which sounds trivial, but usually it isn't, because there is shadow IT, there is a lack of oversight or has been a lack of oversight and therefore just finding out how many different applications within the organization 
actual process PII and in what way is a challenge in itself. So that's number one. Okay. Number two, that many, many companies have to, that especially affects UK companies, they have to change from an opt-out mindset to an opt-in mindset, right? So by law, there are kind of, first of all, you know, I think uh, listeners need to understand that by law, all and any processing of PII is actually forbidden. It's only allowed if one of the so-called exceptions within the GDPR actually applies. And the most, there are two very important exceptions that make uh, the processing of PII uh, legal, which are that either you have a contractual or legal duty to do it, for instance, in, in, uh, in uh, execution of a contract, or uh, that the subject, the, yeah, the, the affected person, people, have actually agreed. And now here the point is that many, 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 many uh, uh, agreements are actually invalid because they do not describe the purpose of the processing specifically enough. You know, you have, as an organization, you have to be very, very specific about what you're actually doing with people's data. And if you're not specific, your whole agreement is simply invalid. And under those circumstances, can you just assume that you are going to do something with that data and the affected person can then opt out. This is not how it works anymore. The person has to opt in. So that's number two. Okay. Um, number three is then that there was always an obligation not to process more data than what you need to do for your subject of business. Um, now, if you did that, meaning if you process more data than you actually need, then you are in big trouble because you can't do that anymore. You have to process exactly as much as you need and not one bit more, right? Yeah. So for instance, in an job asking for a birthday even is could already be illegal because why do you need the birth date to process an online order for, let's say, some shorts? You know, what, what's the connection here? So this will be a major challenge because companies, organizations tended to over-collect data, so to speak. Yep. Now, third one, third most important one would be the privacy by design and privacy by default uh, stipulations, which basically say that um, that when you are offering a web service or any kind of application, right, mm -hmm. that you have to consider the protection of privacy within that application, which will lead to a change in architecture of a lot of applications and all the settings within that application have to be in such a way that the user only gives up pieces of his or her privacy by when knowing about this and not implied, right? Yeah. So again, it's opt-in and basically you as the, the organization, you have to make sure that your application actually protects the AI, which was not an obligation so far, so this is also a very big change because it affects the way how web applications, how web services are offered and actually designed from a programming point of view. Sure, sure. No, that's, that's really useful, those three or four facts on, on what changes um, companies need, need to make. Um, you mentioned uh, how, how breach notification is now a, a legal obligation for companies. Can you tell us a bit, bit more about that? Absolutely. So um, what's new with the GDPR, one thing that's new in regards to breaches, is that you actually have to notify the affected 
people immediately, which basically means as soon as you know, and the authorities within 72 hours of having become aware of a breach having happened. Okay. So, um, so I mean, so one thing here is that I'm, my guess is that a lot of data protection authorities will not be prepared to actually accept such um, such notifications because you know there has to be a way to actually notify the authority. It probably won't be by email, so to speak. Okay. Um, well, thereby there's a little bit of leeway, but not too much. Now the second uh, biggest problem here is that. Many companies don't even know that they have been breached, or they know just months or years later. Mm. Which, so far, I mean, it's a, it's a problem in itself. In regard to the GDPR, it's not a problem because the 72 hours start running once management actually knows. And that, of course, uh, also affects internal processes because, for instance, usually when a company is, let's say, denial of service, blackmailed, then somebody sends an email, the perpetrator sends an email, maybe to a support email address, which is the only one that's publicly available, and basically there nobody knows how they should respond to that, and therefore it's basically, you know, basically nothing is done about it, and which basically um, leads to a, to a cycle of escalation between the company and the perpetrator because nobody reacts to that email. Okay, right? yeah. And this, or something analogous, may easily uh, happen in, in companies and therefore lead to exceeding this legal timeline because not the right people know, which leads us to another question, which is how many companies actually already have dedicated people to IT or information security? Okay. And that's definitely correct. Okay. No, thank, thank you for making the, the clear link there between information security breaches and, and the, the GDPR. That, that was useful. Um, are, are you planning a third edition of your book, Michael, on managing information security breaches? Well, first of all, I was very happy when, when it went into the second edition because that's kind of, you know, like a badge of honor if you go second edition. Yeah. Now, yes, I'm thinking about a third edition uh, because it's kind of unbelievable how much has changed in regard to the scenarios that companies face. Okay. Like, for instance, ransomware was not really an item when we wrote when I wrote the second edition. It was uh, CO fraud was not an item, um, stuff like that. Yeah. So the face time of cybercrime, so to speak, has changed quite dramatically. Yeah. And also, uh, there was a change in ISO 2013, which um, was about the standard being much looser on which way of risk management companies should actually choose. Yeah. Um, I approve that because it has always been a problem to get companies used to using ALEs and your lot of expectations and how to calculate them. But I think the third edition should present a number of ways how to do risk management and present them in, in, in such detail that the reader can actually learn from it and apply it directly after reading the book. Of course. So these are two objectives for the third edition. Yes, no, that's, that's perfect. There's lots of new trends. And, and going back to your previous editions, there was lots of studies from, from real life. So I think it would be very valuable to have a, have a third edition. Um, the last point I'd like to make was, um, what, do you, what would you like readers to take away from your books? Well, you know, I think one of the reasons why Managing Information Security Breaches went into a second edition was that I was trying to, to uh, tackle the eternal problems and not just the ephemeral problems of information security, right? Yeah. And these, the, what, what the eternal problems is, you know, how do you do your risk management? 
understanding? How do you foster that? How do you settle that within the organization? How do you bring it out? And then basically showing that at that point when I wrote it, I also felt that there was a big misunderstanding about what kind of risk can affect what kind of company. And it turns out that, that basically the cybercrime risks that are there, they affect any kind of company. You know, the smallest company that, that uh, turned to us about a CEO fraud was a, um, a real estate administration company with five people who, uh, whom somebody tried to defraud out of 9,600 euros, which is next to nothing, but it shows that, um, that cybercriminals will not stop from defrauding big companies. They will target smaller ones, medium-sized ones as well. Yeah. So um, make clear that the risk that you face does not depend on the company size was to me a very important point, which is also what I want uh, to take readers away from it, from reading it. And um, I think that the case studies have been made in such a way that they are very useful, that they are directly comprehensible without any you know, twists and turns in uh, what has to make in one's mind. And I just wanted to make it accessible. Uh, yeah. Okay, no, that, that's perfect, that's perfect. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Mike, and um, we really appreciate it. We're looking forward to hopefully a, a new edition of your uh, Information Security Breaches book and uh, lots more years of working together. And you're very welcome, thank you. Thanks thank you. Bye-bye, Mike, bye-bye. Bye, bye. -bye. bye, -bye.